Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Properties Limited Partnership 2020 Third Quarter Financial Results Conference Call and Webcast. My name is Sylvie and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, all lines are in a listen-only mode. Following management's remarks, we will conduct a question and answer session. Please be aware that certain information discussed today may be forward-looking in nature. Such forward-looking information reflects the REIT's current views with respect to future events. Any such information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could act, cause actual results to differ materially from those project, projected in forward-looking information. For more information on the risks, uncertainties, and assumptions relating to forward-looking information, please refer to the REIT's latest MD&A and annual information form, which are available on CDAR. Management may also refer to certain non-IFRS financial measures. Although the REIT believes these measures provide useful supplemental information about financial performance, they are not recognized measures and do not have standardized meanings under IFRS. Again, please refer to the REIT's latest MD&A for additional information regarding non-IFRS financial measures. Note that this call is being recorded on Friday, November 13, 2020. And I would like to turn the conference over to Milton Lamb. Please go ahead, sir. Great. Thank you, Sylvie. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. On, me, on the call today is Andrew Kalra, our Chief Financial Officer. Uh, we're pleased with a very solid quarter, and auto sales service levels have rebounded strongly, demonstrating the resilience of the automotive dealership business. As you know, due to provincial government restrictions across Canada to combat the spread of COVID-19, there was an adverse impact on the automotive dealership business during the period from late March to late May, including a significant reduction in new car sales and servicing. During this period, we worked with certain of our tenant partners to provide support through partial rent deferrals as they manage the economic challenges imposed by the pandemic. By the end of May 2020, our tenants were fully open for business, and pent-up consumer demand resulted in a strong rebound in Canadian auto sales and an increase in service work performed by dealerships in Q3. As dealerships resumed their businesses, we saw the industry's ability to adapt to evolving consumer preferences and more immediate consumer concerns regarding COVID-19. Dealerships enhanced their online presence, and e-commerce options to facilitate consumer purchasing decisions, and they provided curbside pickup drop-off options combined with essential service, uh, essential vehicle service. These adaptations have allowed dealers to streamline their business, resulting in greater efficiencies and reduced SG&A. After bottoming out in Q2, new vehicle sales in Canada during the third quarter were just 3.9% below Q3 a year ago, and auto sales were down just 2.1% year-over-year, according to Rosier's automotive consultants. Our solid financial performance in Q3 
is attributable to both working closely with the quality tenant partners through a difficult period and the resiliency of their respective businesses. We collected 99%, uh, sorry, 100% of contractual base rent under our leases in this quarter, excluding 3% of contractual base rent that is subject to rent deferral agreements. And we've collected approximately 94% of our base rent year to date 2020, with the remaining amount subject to deferral agreements. These deferred amounts are now starting to be received. Since the inception of the REIT, we've focused on partnering with some of Canada's strongest auto dealership groups. The benefits of this strategy are apparent today, as these groups have demonstrated their ability to withstand a period of economic disruption. Our growth and our key performance measures in the quarter demonstrates our strong rent collection levels, the positive impact of our past portfolio expansion, and our ongoing contractual rent increases. In comparison to Q3 last year, our property rental revenue grew by 7.4%, cash NOI increased by 10.6%, and AFFO was up 15.2%. AFFO per unit in the quarter was down from Q3 of last year due to the closing of our December 2019 offering. This equity raise deleveraged our balance sheet, providing us with strong liquidity position to manage the onset of COVID and the ability to recommence our acquisition program at the right time. A strong indication of the resiliency and confidence in the auto retail business include the lease renewal until 2026 on one of our tenants in the GTA that was set to expire next year. A new lease for Tesla Service Center in Laval, Quebec, effective November 1st, 2020, and we've collected 99% of our expected October and November 2020 contractual base rent under the leases, excluding 2% of contractual base rent that is subject to deferral. We're encouraged by these recent developments and believe the economic outlook for our tenants instills continued confidence. I'd now like to turn it over to Andrew Kalra to review our financial results and position in more detail. Andrew? Thanks, Milton, and good morning, everyone. Property rental revenue in the quarter was $18.6 million, up 7.4% from Q3 last year, reflecting growth from properties acquired during and subsequent to Q3 last year and contractual annual rent increases. Total cash NOI and same property cash NOI, excluding bad debt expense for the quarter, increased to $15.2 million and $13.9 million, respectively, reflecting increases of 10.6 and 1.2%, respectively, compared to Q3 a year ago. Growth in cash NOI was primarily attributable to acquisitions, while growth in same property cash NOI primarily reflects contractual rent increases. GNA expenses for the quarter were approximately 6.6% of our cash NOI compared to 5.3% in Q2 last year, Q, Q, Q3 last year. The increase primarily reflects the internalization of management and operations of the REIT in line with our initial forecast. Net income for the quarter was $4.4 million compared to net income of, of $1.1 million in Q3 last year. The positive variance was primarily due to an increase in NOI and fair value adjustments for interest rate swaps, investment properties, and Class B LP units, DUs, and IDUs. The overall capitalization rate applicable to our entire portfolio was 
0.9% as at quarter end, unchanged from the end of Q2, reflecting the stabilization of the auto retail business in the quarter. FFO and AFFO for the quarter increased by 13.2 and 15.2% respectively compared to Q3 a year ago. This growth was primarily due to properties acquired during and subsequent to to Q3 a year ago and contractual rent increases. FFO per unit diluted was 23.1 cents in the quarter compared to 24.6 cents in Q3 last year. AFFO per unit diluted was 21.5 cents compared to 22.4 cents in Q3 a year ago. The declines in AFFO and AFFO per unit in the quarter were primarily attributable to the December 2019 equity offering of 7.9 million units as noted previously, which deleveraged our balance sheet from a debt to GDP of 49.6% in Q3 last year to 44.8% as at March 30th this year. Total distributions declared and paid in the quarter totaled $9.6 million, representing an AFFO payout ratio of 93.5%, compared to $8 million in Q3 a year ago, representing an AFFO payout ratio of 89.7%. At quarter end, we had strong liquidity position with a debt to GDV of 44.8%, $60.6 million of undrawn credit facilities, approximately 400,000 of cash on hand, and nine unencumbered properties with a value of $141.7 million, providing us with additional financial flexibility. We had $399 million outstanding on our credit facilities and mortgages at quarter end with an effective weighted average rate on debt of 3.77%. We have a well-balanced level of annual maturities and our weighted average interest rate swap term is 5.2 years. I'd like to turn the call back to Milton for his closing remarks. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Andrew. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a major impact on vehicle sales in Canada this year. Industry analysts have forecasted that new automotive sales in Canada will decline by approximately 15 to 20% for the full 2020 year compared to 2019 primarily a result of the pandemic. The good news is that auto sales are now rebounding after a particularly difficult period from late March through to late May, as consumers re-engaged in their vehicle purchasing and servicing decisions. And dealers are greeting them with more robust e-commerce solutions and enhanced safety measures. Looking ahead, we expect that the remainder of 2020 and into the start of 21, there will be a slower pace of industry consolidation due to the pandemic and related economic uncertainty. We will continue to carefully monitor the impact of COVID-19 on our business and prioritize a strong liquidity position while selectively evaluating potential acquisitions or development opportunities, focusing on the preferred markets, property location, brand, and the financial strength of our dealership operator. We benefit from strong relationships with some of Canada's largest automotive dealership groups, and we believe our current tenant group will be leaders in the future consolidation of, the, of Canada's automotive dealership business. We should present attractive opportunities for us to further strengthen our tenant partnerships and continue to build our portfolio going into 21 and 22. That concludes our remarks, and now I'd like to open the line for questions. Sylvia, Thank please you. go ahead. Thank you, Mr. Lamb. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have any questions, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will then hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. If you wish to withdraw your question, simply press star followed by two. If you're using a speakerphone, we do ask that you please press lift the handset before pressing any of the keys. And your first question, sir, will be from Brad Sturgis at Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Brad. Maybe just uh, starting off with the, the lease renewal, I uh, wonder yeah. if you can give a little bit more color uh, to the extent you can on uh, the change in rents um, or the rent spread that you would have uh, generated and whether the, I guess, over the next five years, you would get still annual contractual steps in the rent. Um, sure. Previously, there wasn't annual. It was every five years. Uh, as you know, through most of our portfolio, uh, our preference, and we actually find our tenants' preference, is for annual rent increases. Uh, so we were able to achieve that. Um, certainly, the the tenants being there for 15 years, and the area has, and you know, it's it's half on, uh, has gone through an enormous change. Um, so that property, that brand, that tenant, they're all great. Um, so we were certainly able to achieve an increase to market rates. Uh, I, I would acknowledge that there is significant basement space in it as well. Um, but, you know, we had previous discussions with them, put those briefly on hold during COVID, and then certainly got notice uh, late Q3, and were able to come to an agreement um, in November with them on the new rates. So they were... Uh, they were good to deal with, but certainly in the moment of COVID, that was not the time to strike because, you know, they would have asked for a lower rate, I'm sure. So we're, we're happy with where it ended up, and I think, uh, you know, it reflects the current market rates. Is there any um, capital CapEx requirements on your end um, for the property, or is it just, you know, mainly a change in the, in the rent? Uh, as per the renewal, no. Um, we, it's just purely... What's the new rent? Okay. In, in terms of the other planned capital spends uh, that you have, um, you know, what's the timeline on deploying that capital and, and um, what's kind of left to do on that end? Uh, I'll let Andrew talk to the amounts, but, you know, one thing we are finding across the board is the OEMs have um, stopped pushing as hard, at least for the moment, on some of these um, expansions and upgrades. So we're finding that that's getting pushed out just a little bit. Um, but Andrew, you know, we have yeah. one last quarter and then go on. Yeah, Brad, we've got the, the, the amounts are not worthy of note um, from, a, from an overall liquidity point of view, but throughout, throughout this year um, and into next year uh, in the range of let's say five to 10, but uh, nothing uh, significant. Um, and they, they they are anticipated to, to to happen as planned. A lot of those will get pushed into later next year. Into next year, though. Okay. And maybe just more at a high level, uh, you know, what are the OEMs looking for the operators uh, to spend on a capital point of view in terms of requirements, and how could that shift over the next 12 to 24 months? I, I think the second part is the question mark um the the oems have been very supportive because of uh q2 um but you know they, everyone wants to get back to business and if you look at 
whether it's Auto Canada, which announced yesterday, or the Penske's Group 1s of the world in the States, um, the general comment has been revenues were you know, flat to slightly down. Uh, profit margins per car were up and SG&A was down, resulting in, you know, for the most part, they had record profits per share. Um, so OEMs, while they look at them and say, we want to support you, they'll also look at them and say, well, you're hitting record profits. Um, so I would expect that in 21-22, the capital spend program comes back online. But as you can imagine where we are with COVID, there's still some uncertainty. So I don't think anyone's pulling that trigger too quickly until they want to kind of, you know, understand better uh, that we are through any sort of downside with a COVID-19. Great. Makes sense. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you. Next question will be from Kyle Stanley at Desjardins. Please go ahead. Thanks. Morning, guys. Good day, Carol. Good morning. So in your outlook, you mentioned you expect a slower level of consolidation kind of into year end in 2021. Can you just maybe elaborate a bit on, on what you're seeing in the market? And, you know, I think in the past you've always mentioned that uh, banks are typically your biggest competitor uh, when it comes to deal flow. Um, so just maybe, yeah, a broad kind of overview of what's going on there. Sure. Um, yeah, th those are almost two different questions. One is the timing that we expect to see some of the consolidation. Um, and as you can imagine, there's a bit of a buy-sell where um, existing dealers that are potentially thinking of selling, and I think a lot of them got a bit scared last quarter if they're independent, and, uh, sorry, two quarters ago now, uh, and may actually look at doing it in the near future. But they're saying uh, profits are back, ignore COVID, and buyers are saying, yeah, profits are good, but you know, we're still worried about what the implications of the second wave are. So I think everyone will have a lot more visibility over that over the next three to six, three to six months. And that should allow that buy-sell gap to shrink to a level that we do anticipate seeing some good M&A activity. Um, Kyle, your second question on banks being our biggest competitor. Um, certainly interest rates have gone down, um, which you know, it both helps us on our financing and helps dealers on their financing. Um, but I would also say that the desire to have a bit more equity in the deals uh, will continue as well. Um, and the banks will support the groups they like to support. So I certainly believe that there will be groups that have access and will move ahead. And there's other groups that will probably look at potentially selling. Again, going back to why we anticipate some uh, greater consolidation over the next two years. Um, I just think everyone's I mean, if you look at the reports on what's going on right now with COVID, everyone's just taking a quick moment to see, um, you know, how this unfolds. The good news is the underlying business uh, is doing well and they've been able to adapt. Um, so we don't expect that to have a significant, uh, you know, impact as far as lockdowns. But, you know, it's uh, uh, you, you can see why dealers on the one side want the top price and the other ones are like, wait a sec, if I'm going to pay top price, I want to make sure that, uh, that we understand the COVID imp impact. Okay, that makes sense. Thanks for that. And then I guess maybe when it comes time to putting uh, that capital to work, just thinking about your yeah. financing strategy. So would you be looking to use some of the unencumbered property base and uh, maybe use it as collateral under your facilities, or would you be looking at securing mortgage debt? Like, Have the uh, financing terms changed enough that that would make more sense? 
Uh, mortgage debt was, was always an option. Uh, it removes flexibility and costs more. So in my world, paying more to get less is not appealing. Um, there's certain properties that it makes sense to, and you never know how things ebb and flow as far as which capital source is better for doing the financing. Um, but uh, to, your, to your first comment, what we normally do is, as opposed to, because there's a lot of sprints on the acquisitions, as opposed to trying to finance our acquisitions as we are doing due diligence and closing, we tend to like to have previous transactions ready to go for financing. Um, so we'll probably continue that trend. So yes, using some of the unencumbered properties to finance them up to allow us to do the new acquisitions. Um, and we have, I think I mentioned this last quarter, we have approximately, um, call it $150 million worth of acquisitions that we can do that would take us to around 53%. Okay, great. And just one last one for me. So this quarter you realized a $90,000 recovery on the bad debt. Just wondering, you know, what your expectations are with how that trends into year end and then into 2021. Andrew, do you want to uh, take this? Kyle, yeah, sure. Kyle, we commented that um, we'd be collecting um, uh, until 2021. So that's that bad debt is a direct correlation with uh, AR. Our AR went down approximately a million dollars uh, with respect to the rent deferral agreements this quarter, so it should it should move along that path over over the next uh, six to eight months, six to nine months. And to make not too fine a point on that, um, you know, every the, the tenants have been current on their deferral agreements, um, so the AR is going to go down simultaneously with the bad debt. We're not viewing the bad debt as a deferral that turns into an abatement that suddenly disappears. It's just the schedule on when it gets paid back. And, you know, it's only right to put some allocation towards bad debt. But we certainly uh, like what we're seeing from our tenants, like what we're seeing from the underlying business, and do anticipate that that will shrink alongside of the AR, just as Andrew mentioned. Okay, it's great to hear. Um, that's it for me. I'll turn it back. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Next question will be from Jonathan Kelcher at TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks. Uh, good morning. Good day. Um, just, just going back to, uh, to, to Brad's question, um, I think when you, you did the, the acquisition in Vancouver earlier this year, you were, there was about $20 million that you were going to invest at Acura North. Have you, have you First of all, have you invested any of that? And, and secondly, is that sort of the, the money you're talking about? That's that'll be kind of later next year. Now it looks like. Um, I think the 20 million was closer to the full purchase price. The additional drawdown. Um, I don't have that in front of me, Andrew. Does I don't have it in front of me, but it was. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it was probably less than half of the the amount. It was certainly less than of half. the acquisition. Um, yeah. Yeah. So no, it would be significantly less than that. Um, and I certainly anticipate that one being later in the year, later in 21. Okay, fair enough. And then you, um, I guess, danced around the, the, the question on how much of a, a bump um, you're getting at the fast dealership. <laughs> but did, um, here's a, a different way on that. Like the exhibit showing your average rents um, yeah. You did include the the Tesla in there, and that, that just started. Did you also include the the bump for uh, for the Audi dealership there? 
No, no because no. the rent uh, will not commence. The new rent does not commence until the expiration of their existing term, which is at the end of May or June 1st is when the new, uh, the new rent comes into place because it's the, the notice period, the negotiation was now, but it does not commence until mid next year. Okay, uh, which was so that will not be reflected in those in those numbers. Okay, and then um, I guess last last question is, you you bumped your the cap rate on your portfolio thirty basis points earlier this year, but um, yeah. you've kind of left it there, and, and we're seeing obviously very strong results out of the um, out of the out of your tenants. Um, yeah. We're seeing low interest rates. What what are your thoughts on that going forward? Uh, there was, you know, certainly Andrew and I and the trustees have talked about it. Um, we're happy with what we're seeing in the industry. Uh, we're happy what we're seeing as far as uh, rent payment and deferral repayment. Um, one of the comments I made at a previous call was, um, I think it was last quarter, was if you have deferrals, then if you're selling the property, being someone who used to sell properties, uh, that has a negative impact, uh, just consumer confidence. That is recovering very strongly. Um, our only question mark this quarter was what happens going into Q4 and the second wave. Um, so we certainly like everything we're seeing. We just want to make sure that that continues. So we're very confident in saying that the cap rate should not go higher. Uh, and certainly, uh, as we move through the uncertainty, um, you know, we're going to have to take a look at that again uh, because the, the deferrals will be going down and the tenants are doing well. Okay. Did you get any por- any uh, properties appraised this quarter? We did. Uh, we, we did. So we do one third a year, uh, approximately, and we always do that in Q3. So we had approximately a third of our portfolio done. And we we take that into our into consideration as part of our valuation and uh, as a support for our numbers as well. Okay. And just Thanks a little clarity on that, we we tend to choose that portfolio to allow all regions. So it it is Correct, a yeah. very strong indicator. Okay. So you got a third of your portfolio just appraised uh, in Q3 and it and it supported the 6.9% cap rate? Overall, yes, that's correct. Okay, thanks, I'll, uh, I'll turn it back. Thank you. Your next question will be from Amantu Gupta at Scotia Bank. Please go ahead. Thank you and good morning. Good day. Good morning. Uh, just staying on the valuation subject, uh, yeah. I mean, on the IFRS valuation, uh, Cap rate was unchanged in Q3, but you have increased by 30 basis points in the year so far. Uh, do you think it was a bit conservative on your part? I mean, although not many transactions have happened, uh, but do you think cap rates have expanded that much? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of goes back to uh, part of that was Alberta. Part of it was the concern over COVID. Uh, part of it was providing deferrals, which are getting paid back now. Uh, I, I certainly think at the time uh, it was the right thing to do. Uh, I certainly believe as those uh, headwinds become tailwinds, that that has to be re-looked at. Okay. And, and then you mentioned about, uh, you know, something to do with the event deferrals as well. 
so now that you know second wave is back, uh, have you received any new request uh, from the dealers to defer rent? We have not received any new requests. Okay, and that three point one million dollar, uh, which is yet to be received, um, I mean, does everything pertain to Q two, or is there something which relates to Q three rents as well? Um, I, I think, uh, Andrew, go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, that that all relates to to the original deferral agreements, which were uh, originated in Q two. Okay. They were um, they were originated in Q two, but they all had depend. Each one of them were slightly different. In, in total, they tend to be similar, but some of them wanted less for longer, and some of them wanted more for shorter. So, um, the, you know, what we've said before is um, the deferral portion is all in 20, and payment is in 20 and 21, or sorry, repayment is in 20 and 21. Okay, and I'm assuming, you know, the bulk will be received by the end of 21, something like that. Uh, we're anticipating 100% of it's received by the end of 21. Gotcha, okay. Uh, and then just turning on the early lease renewal in one property, and you know yeah. my question is also related to the rent pump. Uh, so you know the original lease was done 15 years ago, uh, and yeah. land pricing has gone up significantly in one area. Uh, I mean, do you think the current market rent should have have had a material increase over the uh, over what was originally done? Sorry, it should have had a what increase? Uh, I mean, the uh, the market rents today must have been have a uh, you know significant increase over the rents which were originally paid 15 years ago. Well, uh, I guess two things: a the rents increased every five years, so it hasn't been flat for 15 years. But yes, I mean, certainly Vaughn itself has done extremely well, um, and you know, it's it's market rents for auto dealership properties, which have also uh, increased from 15 years ago. So I think we're satisfied on what we're able to achieve in that renewal process. Gotcha. Uh, so, uh, maybe, you know, my question was more like, uh, I mean, I know there must have been the rental steps after every five years, but the market rents could have outperformed the inflation adjustments what you guys must have done over the last 15 years. That was my question. Well, certainly the land out there has outperformed CPI. Gotcha. Okay. So, yes, yeah, so, I mean, I can't get into too much details, but certainly we understand that we, we like that land. Um, we like the brand. We like the dealer. Um, and that, that market has done extremely well. So they understand that. We understand that. We're able to come to an agreement. Got it. Uh, and then the renewal was done for five years. Uh, I mean, do you think, you know, typically dealerships, they prefer to look for much longer lease term or lease renewals? And is, was there a reason that it was not done for much longer time there? Uh, they have renewal rights of, of, uh, at five-year increments. So they have two okay. times five, and this was the first of the two. Got it. Okay. Okay. Uh, and that's, and they, that's very typical at the end of a lease, that the renewal rights are for five-year increments. Sure, sure. Uh, and maybe and, and I think we, we disclosed that as well. We said the renewal rights in our in our disclosure but just pointing that out yep so thanks, thanks andrew and maybe just the last question on the tesla service center uh, yeah. how long how long is the lease term there um we talk about it being long term we have not announced and with intent uh we have to get permission from tesla to announce uh 
or sorry, to be able to talk about that it was them once they got up and going. Um, so they are, they are sensitive and therefore we are sensitive. Uh, all we can say is that it's long-term. Okay. Uh, and can you remind if that was a new built property or was it like an ex existing dealership property there? Uh, kind of neither. Um, it was, uh, well, I guess it was a dealership. It was, it was a used car facility. That was a two-story used car, uh, significant size. Um, the Tesla facilities are never called dealerships. Uh, if you go into their website, they're always called service, showroom, and delivery. Um, this is uh, a, a very large commitment because they like the property. Um, it was actually brought to us um, to help facilitate. So um, it's, it was not a traditional dealership. And this is, you know, significant amount of it is logistics and service or delivery and service is what they prefer to call it. Got it. Okay. And maybe just the last one, you know, uh, I'm staying with Tesla. Do you think it could be like a bending of a relationship? I mean, uh, do you see doing more dealerships, or, as you said, you know, service centers with Tesla in your core markets in the future? Uh, very hard to predict. Uh, I can say it's easier to do a second deal after you've, after you've done a first. And now that we've done two, it's easier to do a third deal after you've done two. Um, so I, I, we certainly enjoy good communication and a good relationship with them. And they are a company that continues to do well and expand. Right. And, and is the business model very different for Tesla, you know, compared to your other OEMs like Honda or BMW, for example? Um, <laughs> I kind of smile because that's one thing that uh, Tesla loves telling us. Don't, don't you dare talk about our business model. Uh, so I won't, um, but they certainly, there's enough press out there. Uh, it is direct to consumer. Um, you know, the Tesla model is not a mystery. Uh, you can probably ask anyone but me. <laughs> okay. okay, gotcha. No, and thank you. Thank you guys for the color. I'll come back. Thank you. Next question will be from Matt Logan at RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning. Milton, when we think about your organic growth for 2021, um, how should we think about the impact uh, of some of the portfolio changes, let's call it, um, relative to where it was in 20, uh, you know, 20, at trending at around 1.2%? Like, will that be unchanged or could that be up 20 basis points, 30 basis points, or perhaps more? Uh, well, I mean, the, the two things that we've just been talking about on the renewal, um, you know, that created value, uh, higher rents, um, longer term, um, you know, it's nice to see that was, that was one of our near-term abilities to grow some NAV. Uh, and then because the opportunity that was brought to us with uh, the facility in Laval to buy it vacant and then to secure a long-term lease with Tesla, uh, we believe that creates some NAV as well. So that, that certainly helps. Um, you know, some of that has to be Q4. Um, some of that will be kind of rental increases that can occur, uh, as I mentioned, on the renewal in 21. Um, outside of that, it will be, I mean, that, that's the good news about our portfolio is there's a lot of visibility, and we've talked about it being between 1.2 and 
is our, our traditional increase on the same property NOI. Andrew, is that fair? That's fair. That's fair, Thomas. Uh, that's great. And in terms of your acquisition opportunities, are there any preferred brands or geographies that you'd like to focus on? And have you heard or you know had any feedback from potential vendors on their views for changes in uh, capital gains? Yeah, capital gains is a, an interesting one. We certainly, as a trust, have the ability to, and as we've grown log, larger, uh, there's more liquidity and more comfort in the discussions I've had with uh, potential vendors. Um, you know, if you're taking cash and profit, you're worried about the potential capital gains increase um, or decrease, I should say. Um, and the flip side is once that capital gains goes to 75, 100, whatever Trudeau chooses, um, the value of taking the some of your profits and or income recapture in units goes up. So we're kind of looking at it both ways. One is if they're going to sell it for cash, they should do it sooner than later. The other one is if they're going to take back units, it'll probably be even be better as we go forward, uh, assuming Trudeau um, actually does change the capital gains rates, which, you know, Everyone's got their opinion, but everyone seems to be in concert that that may occur. Um, we tend to more deal with the acquirers as they are doing M&A as opposed to dealers that are just selling. So that discussion obviously is, is a bit different. Uh, yeah. But didn't, that didn't answer your full question. Which part did I just miss? No, I think I think that was a that was good color, Milton. Uh, it was really just on if there was any, you know, area of focus specifically. But if it's with the consultant uh, yeah, as so a whole, that that's fine. It is, and it, certainly we have preference in brands. Uh, you know, we always look at things uh, the dirt first. So there's certainly regions, and there's certainly properties within those regions. We have us a higher priority, um, and then it is the dealership group. Uh, what's our covenant, and then it is the brand. But we look at all three of those uh, areas to decide, is this something that we are interested in? How much are we willing to uh, acquire it for? And last question for me, maybe just following up on some of uh, Himanshu's questioning with regards to the electric opportunity. Yeah. Do you see the potential for more um, electric dealerships in general, whether it's with Tesla or other new electric brands? Could we see, you know, more infrastructure deals for, say, electric charging or auto logistics through delivery? Um, I'm a strong believer in the second, not as much in the first. Um, charging stations, for the most part, are going to be, I think, significant amount of smaller. So, it, it, you know, that's that's a very tough, uh, and it tends to be a small portion on an existing. Uh, facilities. So, I mean, similar to shopping centers, you'll get a charging station there. So, I think that infrastructure will roll out. Um, we've scratched our head on how to play in that, um, but not, I don't know if I'm a full believer in us having the ability to do that in any sort of uh, significant way in the same sort of land holdings that we like. Um, yet, the other side of that equation is if you're talking about um, whether it's electric or just the dealership business overall, what you're seeing is a tendency towards smaller showrooms, larger service, 
and greater compounds and logistics. So we like the idea of all three of those. Um, certainly, we think there's going to be some potential off-site because real estate is getting expensive on the major arteries. Uh, service, a um, bit more industrial-like, um, you know, certainly like that. Um, and same with the logistics. I mean, that's, that's part of what you're looking at with Tesla. They have a showroom, but it is a lot of delivery and it's a lot of logistics as far as, um, sorry, a lot of service. Uh, we expect to see more of that in the future. That's both electric and ice, but with new brands coming in and potentially some direct-to-consumer, then that you know certainly may allow some greater opportunity as well. And we're tracking that and certainly would not be opposed to doing more of it. Well, I appreciate the comments. That's all for me. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you. Next question will be from Joanne Chen at BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Uh, most of my good questions have been answered. Hi, how are you? Um, most of my questions have been answered, but maybe just going back, circling back to the cap rate and the acquisition environment. Have you seen, I know you said mentioned that, you know, the activity has obviously slowed down, but have you noticed any transactions, um, you know, post Q3 and whether, if any, um, the cap rate is kind of similar to, to um, what you guys had recorded at the end of Q3? Um there was um, most of the transactions we've seen are direct dealers acquiring properties as they buy the dealerships. They would not have cap rates attached to them. Um, okay. There was, there was one trade that I think is public that was in um, Mississauga. Um, but just in case it's not public, I shouldn't talk about it. That was at a lower cap rate as it was uh, a, a low price per acre. Um, okay. So th there's not that much market evidence. Uh, we, we tend to be the group at the table when it is a yield type um, sale lease back or transaction of that type. Okay. Um, and maybe going just on the acquisitions front, you did mention you do have about 150 million of capacity. Um, I know it's still depending on, on how the environment unfolds, but, you know, in terms of timing, do you think this is the next, you know, kind of the 20, later 2021, 2022 kind of, um, where you guys will get there or? Uh, it's tough to say because I would say that there's a, a pent up that has occurred from 20. So how quickly that kind of opens up is a question mark. Uh, and partly on that question mark is you know, a question mark beyond uh, dealerships, which is when do people get comfortable on, um, you know, the transparency surrounding COVID. Um, you know, I, I, I've always said and always joked that I, I never give targets because I will miss them. I'll either exceed them or it'll be a bit later. I'll get a higher cap rate or it'll be a bit later, like, or earlier. So, um, yeah, we, we don't normally give guidance on that. And especially at a time like this, uh, we certainly believe that there's going to be pent up. It's just when, the, when that opens up is the question mark. Oh, uh, and at the sense. same time, when we feel the high level of comfort on that. Okay. Got it. Um, and maybe just I'll switch gears. The uh, last one for me is, have you had any commentary from the dealers in terms of um, how the traffic has been post, you know, Q3 kind of in the November, October, November timeframe, you know, with now that we're in. This sure. Uh, I, I, and I think if, if you look at some of the, or hear some of the uh, dealership scripts 
uh, from either the public companies in the States or Auto Canada uh, in Canada, um, and certainly in my conversations directly with other dealer groups. Uh, the comment is traffic is um, the, the groups that come or individuals that come now come to buy a car. So there is less kind of foot traffic just to kind of look around and sit in the car because you can't just come around and sit in the car. Um, so their, their sales percentage is way higher. Their uh, profit margins uh, on the individual cars, both used and new, are higher. And because of the um, efficiencies that they're putting in with technology uh, and the layoffs that occurred, which they've only hired back, you know, 80 to 90 percent of those employees, uh, SG&A is lower. So higher margins okay. and lower SG&A, even with flat to slightly lower revenue, um, you know, a lot of the groups in the States and I think Auto Canada just came up with a very good release are hitting very high to record profits. Okay. No, that that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, um, that, that's that's the thing on the COVID side, which is that you know, it's not like a shopping mall. People don't go to a dealership just to mill around. Uh, especially in today's world, they go there for a specific purpose. It's to go drop off the cur car curbside, get it serviced, and pick it up. So they almost mm -hmm. don't go into the dealership, or it's right. to acquire a car that they've done the research in advance and they've set up an appointment. They go in and get it done. Right. Uh, that makes sense. Um, okay, no, that, that's it for me. Uh, I'll turn it back. Thank you. Once again, as a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. And at this time, Mr. Lamb, we have no other questions registered, sir. That's great. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We look forward to speaking to you again soon. All the best. Th Thank you, sir. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, this does indeed conclude your conference call for today. Once again, thank you for attending. And at this time, we do ask that you please disconnect your lines. Have a good weekend. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.